0: My great aunt Jemima used to be a fanatical collector. She had bits and bobs and whatnots all over the house. Every one of them had a story to tell, and my, did she love to tell them. There was the set of early Victorian dentures, fashioned in ivory, a gold watch, won in a game of Fantan in Shanghai, and a model of the Taj Mahal, made from nail clippings. She never did say whose nail clippings. Every one of those objects had a story, and that's what this podcast is all about. Welcome to Art and Stuff, with me, Ben Miller. It's 1588, and there's a fleet of 130 Spanish ships sailing towards England. It's up there with the Battle of Hastings, Bosworth Field, Waterloo, and Trafalgar. The Spanish Armada. Here comes our object. It's a painting, circa 1600, unknown artist apart from the initials V.H.E. A cabinet miniature on vellum heightened with gold, part of the collection of the Ulster Museum in Belfast. Its title, The Spanish Armada off the coast of England
1: it's almost like a veil being pulled back. You're able to look back into history and you're able to see something that is such a momentous event in history, but you're seeing it with the excitement of almost the first eyes looking at it, the first time that this story of the Armada started to be told. It's a lot encapsulated in a very small
2: canvas. Especially nice to see illustrations of Armada ships because they're very few and far up between. You know, that really is exciting.
3: It demonstrates, Elizabeth, her loneliness, her isolation, but also then the gathering of the troops. There's a sense, too, of peril. There's a sense of looking out and a sense of danger.
4: As a Spanish person, looking at the picture, I feel a little bit proud about how that huge event for Spanish history is still remembered nowadays outside our borders.
0: Now, in many ways, we know very little about this painting, and that makes it all the more tantalizing. From the style, we think it was possibly made by a Dutch artist. Who was VHE? Well nobody knows, but it's good, detailed rigging, vivid blue sea and several figures waving flags of St George in the foreground, peering out to sea. Several of them have expressions on their faces which suggest they know this could be bad. It was probably made for a rich, patriotic patron, and we're pretty sure it was painted within a decade or so of the actual events in the English Channel.
1: My name is Anne Stewart. I'm the Senior Curator of Art at the Ulster Museum in Belfast. This miniature is in the most remarkable condition. It is painted with absolutely exquisite detail in gouache and watercolour highlighted with gold. It's on vellum, which is skin, and this absorbs the colour and holds it, so it's like an illuminated manuscript. It's about 34 centimetres long and about 14 centimetres tall, so it's really about the size of a large laptop. It's what we call a cabinet miniature, something that would have been kept in a cupboard or a cabinet, would have been brought out to be looked at and to be poured over the detail and then kept safely returned to the cupboard.
0: The powerful and pious Spanish king Philip II was plotting to invade England and restore Catholicism throughout the land. At least, that was his story. He was also pretty fed up that Elizabeth I was resisting his offers of marriage and allowing her privateers, that's a polite word for pirate, to roam the Caribbean, helping themselves to his treasure-laden galleons. If we believe the story, Sir Francis Drake was playing bowls on Plymouth Hoe, when he spotted the armada advancing over the horizon and declared that he would finish his game before dealing with them. He was, what the sports psychiatrists of the 16th century would call, in the zone. Queen Elizabeth herself was on a white horse at Tilbury, making that famous speech. I know I have the body of a weak, feeble woman, but I have the heart and stomach of a king. Let's get them before they get us. We even have the suggestion that God was sending a mighty wind which scattered the Spanish ships and saved the English from invasion. This painting is like a whole boxed-set mini-series thon in one single image.
1: You are looking down, almost in a bird's-eye view onto the channel and so on the left you have the great Spanish fleet assembled but already there's a sense of almost a certain amount of disarray or perhaps the ships are maybe too closely placed together and they may possibly find this difficult in manoeuvring later. And then on the right you've got the English fleet advancing almost in a more stately and a more organised way. You've got the great Ark Royal, the English flagship, very prominently positioned. And then to the extreme right, you have the coast of England and a series of beacons, which was the warning signal to alert the populace to the advance of the Armada. You have some soldiers standing on a raised hillock with the great flag of St George. But they're the very prominent figures, and behind them, slightly smaller, is Queen Elizabeth with Robert Dudley, Earl of Leicester.
0: So the Spanish had a plan. The idea was that their massive fleet would sail up from Karuna and make its way along the English Channel to the Netherlands, conveniently occupied by the Spanish at the time. Waiting for them there would be the Duke of Parma, also rather conveniently Philip II's nephew, and a large army. The soldiers would hop onto the ships, they'd slip across to England, invade, overthrow Elizabeth and claim a famous victory. But it wasn't as simple as that. And as the Spanish waited at anchor off the Dutch coast, the English launched their own attack. And it's this moment which dominates our picture.
1: Very dramatically placed are the fire ships which the English were sending into the midst of the Spanish fleet... And certainly the fire ships, when they first appeared, would have caused absolute consternation. Very difficult to deal with, very dangerous, very frightening for the sailors because they knew that there was really nothing they could do to stop these fire ships. The artist has done everything he can to draw you immediately into the drama of the moment. He almost sort of grabs you by the arm and forces you to just look at the events and the drama as it's unfolding. The detail is so remarkable that you can see the tiny sailors on some of the Spanish ships reacting with fear and horror, and you can also see the English sailors as they're watching the fire ships approach.
0: But the picture isn't exactly reliable. The fact is that Elizabeth I, with her favourite the Earl of Leicester, were nowhere near the English Channel.
1: I think everyone who was looking at the miniature at the time would have immediately picked up that this was a reference to Elizabeth's wonderful performance at Tilbury. So just by having her and Dudley, Earl of Leicester, in the corner, they're not as prominent as you would expect a monarch to be, but in a sense it's their easiness within the scene, their sense of cohesion of the monarch with her people, which was very much the spirit of the Armada.
0: This is actually a bit of soft power muscle flexing designed to win hearts and minds after the event.
3: Oh, very clever. My name's Philip Collins. I was the chief speech writer to the Prime Minister, Tony Blair. And I'm the author of a book, When They Go Low, We Go High, in which, amongst other things, I look at the speech that Elizabeth I gave at Tilbury with the Spanish Armada amassing in the sea ready to invade. Great rhetoric on the cusp or in the midst of wars is always about danger, it's always about peril, and that gives the rhetoric a real charge. So this is a moment that Elizabeth has to rise to this occasion. She knows that the Navy are going to be very worried and frightened, and she also knows they're going to be highly sceptical of her, and the obvious reason that they were all thinking, and the thing that she confronts as she speaks to them, is that She's a queen of England and not a king of England. How preposterous it is that a woman could presume to be the commander of the forces. And she knows she's going to have to deal with this very sceptical audience. She's going to have to find the words to inspire them whilst overcoming the obstacle of her gender, as they will have seen it. Now, she does have the great sovereign authority of being the queen. She has the command and the weight of the office, and she uses it brilliantly in the speech. The famous words she is said to have uttered here confront the question very directly. I may have the weak and feeble body of a woman, but I have the heart and stomach of a king, and a king of England too. And what she's saying there is two things. Firstly, she's saying, don't you dare think I'm not formidable enough to be the commander-in-chief. Absolutely, I am. There's no question about it. And secondly, she does that by conjuring the image of her father, of Henry VIII, who was himself an incredibly formidable warrior king and she's saying that there's no barrier to me being as formidable as my father on the contrary i have the heart and stomach of a king and this is a remarkable moment and by all accounts the navy greeted this with great cheers and it was deemed to be the great inspirational speech that she needed it to be i love a bit of eve of
0: battle rhetoric preferably with dramatic surging background music
3: even if what she really wants to say is, run away, the Spanish are coming. If you're facing a sceptical audience, and if there is something which needs to be confronted, the clever thing to do is to be brave and to be bold and to say it out loud. The temptation would have been to ignore the fact that they were all thinking, well, there's no prospect that a woman could do this job, and just glide around it and hope to curry favour with them. She does the opposite she makes no attempt to flatter her audience in its prejudices. She in fact names their prejudices and wins them over. And that is generally a better rhetorical tool because your audience will continue in their prejudice if you don't confront it. By going there and saying to them, in effect, I know what you're all thinking. Now let me tell you why you're wrong. There's something quite invigorating about that. An audience generally will reward you for having the courage and honesty and conviction to name the problem and to confront it. By the time Elizabeth made her speech, the danger was already lessening.
0: Nowadays reports that the English fleet had got the better of the Spanish would have been a news flash pinging up on your mobile while the gunsmoke was still clearing. But in those days, news didn't travel fast and the threat still seemed very real. But then the wind changed, the weather worsened and the Spanish fleet was forced off course. As the English put it, God blew and they were scattered. Spain, with its huge empire, lucrative colonies and powerful fleet, had failed to prevail. Today, stop a random Spaniard in the street and they probably have an interesting angle on the whole Blumen horlicks.
4: Hi, my name is Eva Milan, in Spanish, Eva Millan. I'm a Spanish journalist. I've been based in the UK for 12 years now. Do people in Spain remember the Armada nowadays? Yes, they do, for good or for bad. Even somebody who has no idea about history knows. What happened with the Spanish Armada, which we call in Spanish the Invincible Armada, which is La Armada Invencible, which obviously was defeated. So, in a way, that shows a lot about the Spanish mentality, about how we, in a way, laugh at ourselves because it was everything but, because obviously it was an absolute disaster.
0: In fact, perhaps even more surprisingly, the Armada still lives on for many Spaniards in their everyday speech.
4: If somebody says, oh, you know, the company has to close down, the economy is going really badly, we might say, well, do not worry. More was lost with the Invincible Armada. Mas se perdió con la Armada. We still use it as a way of giving somebody solace, like to keep perspective. This is how heavy that defeat was, the fact that even nowadays we use it as the worst thing that can happen.
0: So a kind of... Iberian version of worst things happen at sea?
4: Exactly. So look at you know our historical events and think that you're a tiny particle compared to how bad things were once, and they are not that bad now. If you fail an exam or after you're sacked from work, you would literally use exactly the same words as the king used at the time. He was told by his advisors, the disaster of the operation. He was saying, what happened? I can't believe this. And apparently they say, well, you know, the rain and the storms, which is absolutely true. Allegedly, he said, I didn't set my fleet to fight against the elements. No mandé a mis barcos a luchar contra los elementos. It's obviously the elements it's the rain and the wind and everything that happened in the sea on those days. It's a perfect way, whenever anything happens to you, something goes wrong at work or you don't pass an exam that you should have passed. It's not because you didn't study enough. It's not because you didn't work hard enough. It's because something happened. You would say, oh, you know, I didn't send my fleet to fight against the elements.
0: Historical events can often be spun one way or the other. We've already had a hint of this in the picture. The starting point is really the celebration of the victory, and so the artist paints the English ships larger, the great unfurling St George flags much more flamboyant.
1: The Spanish ships, there's a sense of the rigging already becoming a little bit entangled. The flags are not flying with quite the same excitement or energy. But it's so subtle, and I think that's what's lovely about it. It's not flamboyantly proclaiming the propaganda, but each detail has been very finely nuanced to just tip the balance to show the strength and preeminence of the English fleet it's very important for us to have this cabinet miniature in the Ulster Museum collection because we have another very important collection of Armada material which is really almost unique in the world. After the Armada, suddenly the wind changed.
0: Remember that triumphant assertion by the British that God blew and they were scattered? Well, in the days that followed, the Spanish fleet was blown further north. A number of the Armada ships actually sailed up towards the coast of Scotland, and then across the north of Ireland.
1: One of the ships, the Girona, was wrecked off the coast of County Antrim. Then, in the 1960s, the wreck was found and all the material was brought to the Ulster Museum my name is Winifred Glover, and for over 30 years, I was a curator
2: in the Ulster Museum. And I was there right at the start of when the Girona was discovered in 1967 and 1968 by the Belgian underwater archaeologist Robert Stenewitt and his cameraman, Mark Jasinski. After the conflict between the English and the Spanish off Gravelines, the weather was absolutely dreadful. They had ferocious winds and waves It was so bad that the poor Spanish, as they tried, you know, really valiantly to get home, they were blown down the west coast of Ireland. And that's why so many ships were lost. I mean, they were really at the mercy of the elements. It's estimated, I think, that 40 of Philip's big ships were destroyed. And many thousands of soldiers and sailors were lost.
0: So the island of Ireland was now taking centre stage in the drama... But what about that rogue ship, the Girona? It was, and I mean this with no disrespect, a galleass.
2: A galleass was a hybrid between a galleon sail and a galley, which was a rowing ship. Galleasses were large, heavily armed support ships, and their job was to support the galleons who were fighting.
0: The Girona came to grief near the giant's causeway. It had already picked up survivors from two other ships and was badly overloaded its rudder was shot and hastily repaired but then a gale whipped up the girona was driven onto the rocks at la point near Ballintoy on the night of the 26th of october 1588 of the estimated 1300 souls on board there were just nine survivors over the next few days 260 bodies washed ashore and were buried in a common grave at the local churchyard. 379 years later, a team of Belgian divers including Robert Stenuit, the world's first aquanaut, located the remains of the wreck of the Girona and brought up one of the greatest ever finds of Spanish Armada treasure.
2: He started finding all the hundreds of gold coins and the silver coins all sorts of jewels. And you might think it's extraordinary. What on earth were these doing on board ship? Well, the leaders of the Armada, they had brought with them their wealth in terms of jewels and actual coinage because they had every intention of landing in England with their wealth with them. It seems to us extraordinary that there you were on board a wooden fighting ship dressed in silks and velvets, shoes of the finest Spanish leather, Gold chains, gold rings, even gold earrings. And what is really interesting about all the finds of the Girona is because it was really like a time capsule of the 16th century.
0: The artefacts from the ship were acquired by the Ulster Museum and went on display in a special gallery. The jewellery, which had once been worn by those confident seafarers, became one of the big draws.
2: The whole story captured the public imagination, especially the jewels that you knew belonged to somebody. The salamander is a gold pendant jewel. A salamander is a lizard, really. It is completely of gold. It's beautifully modelled. It's like a complete little salamander. And the back was set with nine rubies. The salamander was very pertinent to a fighting ship because the salamander was meant to have the magical properties of being able to survive and also quench fire and wooden fighting ships. People were really frightened of fire. One of the other favourite jewels is called the No Tango Ring. This is a tiny ring, a really tiny ring. It is of two hands holding a heart, and round the band of the ring there's the little thing that says, No Tango Masque Darte. I've nothing more to give you, all I can give you is my heart. I think that's one of the things about the Armada. I mean, it was a huge undertaking. But what you quite often hone in on is the small and personal. And I think that's why people remember
1: it. It does strike a chord with everybody. The fact that the Armada was repulsed changed the direction of British history, political history, but also maritime history. It established Britain's preeminence and success as a maritime power. It established Elizabeth and also the Protestant succession. But what's so exciting about the miniature for us is that this is almost an eyewitness account in the sense that it's made so soon after the events that it depicts. So there's such a sense of the immediate excitement and the immediate creation of the myth. It's almost like the first newspaper image of something when the events are still being discussed, being poured over. The myth is still very fluid. It's in the process of being formed when this miniature has been painted.
0: And of course, one person in the picture is particularly surrounded by myth. Elizabeth I, Gloriana, the Virgin Queen, or even Good Queen Bess. Philip Collins considers that the image we
3: have of her today owes a great deal to the events depicted in the picture. A whole series of myths have have surrounded this speech, and we don't know if they're true really, about Elizabeth turning up to Tilbury on a white horse and the various costumes and armour that she wore. And lots of the depictions of Elizabeth subsequently were of this very warrior-like Queen. Now, she would not have been depicted like that or thought of like that before, but immediately after this speech, she was. And this is the Queen Elizabeth that we have inherited. And the idea of the Elizabethan age that we have really derives from this moment. And all of the subsequent fictional accounts and representations of Elizabeth, which really do dress her up in all manner of, sort of armour, are really representations of the message that she delivered at Tilbury in August 1588. So now the miniature is at the Ulster Museum, alongside all the precious objects
0: recovered from the Girona. It may only be small, but it's an image that's bursting with meaning and tells us a story which still has the power to excite, intrigue and move us.
1: It has an energy, an almost cinematic quality. There's a real sense the artist wants you to almost feel what it was like to witness the armada. You're there with the sailors. You're an onlooker in the same way as the court, the queen. Everyone is just transfixed by these events as they're unfolding before your eyes. So for me, it's that excitement.
4: I do like the painting a lot. I'm very surprised and very taken aback by how detailed it is. Definitely the painting portrays in a way what history has proven, that the English won. But like we say in Spain, no, the English didn't win. The elements made the Spaniards
2: lose. I was really delighted that the museum acquired it. It'll be there for everybody. I would like them to wonder at history and say, yes, yes, look at all those ships. Look, there's Dudley. Look, there's Elizabeth. I think they would feel almost uplifted that they'd been able to shine a light on the 16th century.
0: The Spanish Armada off the coast of England is part of the collection at the Ulster Museum in Belfast. It was acquired through the generous support of Art Fund members across the UK. You've been listening to Art & Stuff with me, Ben Miller. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review and tell your friends.